Andrew was in grandpa's room and he was having a nightmare. So I woke him up and I brought him to your room. Then I went to the back hallway, saw the door open, heard something, and then I woke everyone up. Andrew is in the other room. Yes. Is that your baby? I don't, I can't remember. Did you see Stanley last night? I can't Andrew? Remember. Does he sleepwalk? No, he doesn't sleepwalk. This doesn't make any sense, because Andrew is barely tall enough to reach those locks. You're, you're positive that the door is already open? Yes. How can you be positive? It was the middle of the night, you could have been half asleep. He said he was sure. I was wide awake, I'm, I'm positive. Look, I'm not Maybe. saying you're lying, Travis. I'm just saying it was the middle of the night. Maybe you're not remembering correctly. I know what I saw. I'm sorry, but the door was open before All I right, got there. I'm, I'm not gonna jump to any conclusions, but just to be safe, I think that we all shouldn't interact for a day or so. Dad, I'm sure it's fun. Listen, I'm just taking proper precautions, okay? hours too, but also a brand new year. It is 2018. For certain of us, we were worried 2017 would be it. That was, it was over. It was lights out on society and civilization, which is an interesting comment to make in light of the movie we're covering today. With me, as always, is Reed Lackey. What, what, what? What's up, Reed? Infected. I'm infected oh, with the sickness, Nathan. That's not good. No, how you, how you doing, buddy? I'm all right. I'm on like week 49 of this cold that oh, I'm, uh, no, that's that a lot I'm of dealing weeks. with. That's a lot well, of weeks. Yeah, hopefully hopefully but, it will not persist much longer. I did want to, we alluded sort of um, to um, this in Rear Window last week, but one, we are doing um, a sort of year-long look at a handful of Hitchcock films um, and our Indeed. Uh, hashtag Alfred from Melmac um, series. <laughs> and uh, it's going to stick. It's going to stick uh, until you We're come up with something it. better. Right, right. That's right. Um, uh, interestingly, for, for January, for this particular month, January 2018, um, we thought it would be fun in this sort of thread of of rear window looking back to do a handful of flicks that came out in 2017 so yes 
you know, kind of looking back at the last year, here's some movies we didn't get to. Um, we don't generally love just like doing of the moment movies like this one came out this week, partly just because of timing and logistics, partly just because sure we want stuff to kind of be a bit more perennial than that. But we did think it'd be fun. Um, and who knows, maybe this will persist through subsequent fear of God January's um, to do kind of looks back at the previous year's horror movies that we did not cover. So today, yes, Reed, Nathan, um, today we're talking, it comes at night directed by, uh, Trey Edward Schultz. But before indeed we get to this movie conversation, Reed, I just got to know what you're watching. <laughs> what, what you're reading. What are you listening to? Da, 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 da. Um, you started last <laughs> week. I'm going to start this week. I don't know if this is on your radar at all, but I have been watching The Runaways on Hulu. Oh, I've heard about it. I've heard a lot um, of really good things. Well, uh, I don't know what exactly the things are that you've heard, but really good is good a phrase that I would use in relation to this show. So, uh, the runaway is a Hulu TV show based on a Marvel comic property, um, created by Brian K. Vaughn back in 2002. And he would say by Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alfona, who was the, uh, penciler at the time, the illustrator, um, really great. In fact, the, the, the other podcast I occasionally reference on here and listen to rather, uh, frequently is called the watch. And Andy Greenwald of The Watch, who's also a comic fan and they're both culture uh, aficionados, has referenced The Runaways as one of the best Marvel concepts since Spider-Man, more or less. Wow. Um, and, and it's, and it's, it's, it's an easy log line, that being, um, every teenager thinks their parents are evil. What if that were actually true? And so that's kind of the impetus mm. for the seat for the show or well, the book and ultimately now the show. Um, but man, it's, I was a big fan of the comic series. And yeah. in fact, it's interesting. Did you, you have read it or you've never read it? No, I've never read it. Okay. Okay. I remember um, you talking about the comic series when we were roommates, like years ago, very highly praising. It. Um, yeah. Well, Vaughn has an extended run on the series. Believe it or not, Joss Whedon takes it over at a certain point. And for as much as I like Whedon, um, his is one of, uh, it's one of my least favorite things I've read of his. And it just really, it's, it's not a great sort of take on the characters, but, but yeah, the idea is these kids discover that their parents are part of this secret, you know, kind of nefarious cabal of, villain villainy um, right, and right. sort of as the title suggests run away um the show takes the the skeleton of the comic series and adds some meat on the bones in a way that's really interesting and fun and i don't know i'm digging it um you know it does have a few limitations in terms of the television media and budget um that sometimes the strings show a little bit but overall um it's right. it's, a, it's a really solid effort and I wouldn't put it at like frivolous. If you just have nothing better to do, I would rank it above that. I wouldn't put right. it as like burning. You must watch this now. But I would sure, say sure. if you're like, you know what? I've kind of threw my DVR. I want something that's fun um, and will not just be pure, pure popcorn. Uh, it is definitely worth, definitely worth a look. Nice. Nice. That's a, it's a quality recommendation right there. Well, um, thank you. <laughs> it's a quality show. Yeah, I'll have to try. To, I'll have to check that out at some point. If I do, I'll let you know when I do. Um, 
the uh, I actually have a listening to. Um, that's a bit, right. yeah, that, that's a bit, uh, uh, left field. Let's, let's hear so, it. So, uh, right. Um, well, listen then. Um, the, uh. <laughs> I'm trying to say it. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> an artist who, uh, I've known about for a number of years, probably at least a decade now at this point, but have never really dove much into her catalog very deeply. Um, I was first exposed to the artist known as Sia. Uh, through a song that was on the soundtrack to the TV show Six Feet Under that I really responded to. It's an old song of hers called Breathe Me that uh, is a really powerful song that that song plays over top of some of the final moments of, of the series finale of Six Feet Under. So I was very taken with that particular song, but I've never really listened to much Sia. Um, and then I found it oddly that like I would occasionally probably in the last like year or two, I would see a random movie and there would be a song at the end of the movie and I would really like it. And then I would go look it up and I'd be like, oh, dang, that's Sia. <laughs> and then that experience happened probably four or five times where I was like, I'm watching a movie. I really like the song that closes the movie out. And then I'm like, oh, I want to see who that is. I look it up. Oh, it's Sia. And then, oh, it's Sia. Oh, it's Sia. So, <laughs> wow. so wow. It's Okay, like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> so it's like it would happen like over and over and over again. So uh, so I've just been spending, especially the last like couple of weeks, just sort of uh, diving into some of her recent catalog, which I was really relatively unfamiliar with and uh man she's great i i dig her a lot i, I yeah. really like a lot of her stuff um so do, you, do yeah. you do like are um do you have an album that you would recommend above others if we were to want to go check out something? the one i've been listening to the most extensively it's one of the few full albums that i have rather than just piecemeal tracks on youtube right. uh is a thousand forms of fear uh, or ten thousand forms of fear. I can't reach. I can't remember if it's thousand or ten thousand. I think it might be ten thousand. What if it's but, a what if it's um, hundred thousand? It's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, but no. So that that album is the one that I've been listening to beginning to end, and is a really strong album, and I like it a lot. Uh, her, I think her big hit from that was the song called Chandelier. Yeah, yeah, that's a great album. But I've been listening to a lot of <laughs> the one that finally d got me to like really dig in was the the song that was featured in the movie Lion from last year uh, man, called Never I Give Up. I've still not seen that, and I want really badly to see it. And I just have you should. I man, know. It's great. I know. I think it's I on cry Netflix. Every, you are, I cry every time I see the trailer. So, dude, yeah. it's it's so wonderful. Yeah, you really got it. And it, and on Netflix, you know, you are without excuse. So, um, but yeah, it's it's a really great movie. I think it's I think it's a very encouraging, well made movie. But uh, yeah, Sia has a song in it called "Never Give Up." That's really sort of a you know a, a dance anthem for you know. I do, really, hey, you know, if I like any song, it's a dance anthem. Well, you're going to love Sia <laughs> and you're going to love Never Give Up. Um, so, um, so yeah. I, anyway, I've just been getting a lot into into her music recently and really enjoying it. So, I like it quite a bit. Can you can you exit us with our song to a tune of a Sia track? <laughs> you know what's so funny is that uh, if I if I had a little bit more uh, sure. maybe adult beverage in me, I might I might attempt it. Um, but uh, but no, that's uh, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. We'll go um, do that. Go do that, and we'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> Five hours later, I'm like, that's a rock, yeah. Oh wow, wow. Uh, no, so um, so yeah, so that has been uh, yet another edition of uh, what you watching. 
What you reading? Reading. What you listening to? message after the tone um, okay so uh so yeah so that was uh that was what you're watching reading listening to i love it so so that that was fun i'm i i i don't know if i'll get around to listening to some sia i am familiar with chandelier and my brother-in-law did dress like her uh or whatever the character is in the chandelier video for halloween last year and it was really oh, funny. nice yeah, it was really funny. Um, but let's jump into this movie it comes at night so reed were you so like you know, we were running on the list of what would be candidates for this sort of January 2017 or right. yes, January 2018, 2017 ah. horror retrospective. Um, yes. And this kind of made the list rather quickly. Sure. Had you seen the movie before us talking about it? No, no. In fact, uh, this is one of the rare moments where, A, we decided to talk about a film that I had not seen most of the time I've seen it by the time we, we decide to talk about it. So a, I had not seen it, but also B you had seen it. So this was even more rare because you, you got the chance to watch the movie in the theater. I missed it was when it was in theaters and wasn't able to catch it until it came to digital release. So yeah, I had not seen it. I had heard enough about it that I feel like my expectations were about right. I had seen the director's earlier film, uh, Krisha, and I really liked it. It's it's very different. It is uh, a bit horrific, but not in the fear What's, factor. Well, I haven't seen it. What is the general plot of that? Um, uh, Krisha is a lady who has uh, been struggling with an addiction. Uh, if memory serves me correctly, the addiction itself is not explicitly specified that would make sense based on this movie (laughs) yeah she is uh, but she is a recovering addict and basically she attends a thanksgiving and the thanksgiving she's really sort of like the 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 air uh, in the film is she's attending this thanksgiving um the family is kind of giving her kind of like one more chance right to like get over her struggles and be part of this family and and all of that kind of stuff and um and so the film is about her successes and failures in doing that and it is heart-wrenching and it is deeply emotional and ends in the exact opposite place that you would expect it to end i mean it's sincerely like if you watch this yeah if you watch this movie like as in ends, as in in a way that will tick you off as a viewer as in a way that will be like huh make you sort of challenge like like I, I was subverted, but maybe in a positive way as a viewer. What's really interesting about the question that you just, just asked me is you your second half described my experience. I was subverted in a way that I found very interesting. I could see somebody walking out getting really mad at the at, at where it ended because uh, it. I will say this without spoiling a specific plot beat. It builds to a climactic moment and then the film stops before that climactic moment is resolved. Gotcha. So it, so so it, the film literally stops in the midst of a climactic clash in a way, and and you'd have to see the film and see the sort of textual denouement that they do on the film to kind of understand why I really walked away liking the film a lot. But uh, but yeah, it is uh, it, it was pretty powerful. It left it, it impacted me greatly. It wound up being one of my favorite movies of uh, 2016. 
Interesting. And so, well, I was what, did, what did you th- what did you think about this? I mean, I, I've got some some um, specific thoughts I want to share, but I want to know in this. Uh, yes, as you mentioned, this is my second viewing, but this being your first, what what did you feel about it? Comes at night. So uh, the film craft at play is, I think, is excellent, it's and in amazing. that degree, yeah, yeah, and it, and in that capacity, I loved it. I feel like. I w- this is the kind of film that I loved and would easily revisit in a heartbeat. But I think it is also the kind of film that if people were to raise certain criticisms towards it, I don't know that I would argue with them. Like, I understand sure, sure. sort of the it, it's what you and I have played around with before about the idea of the film the man was trying to make versus the film people were expecting or, right, or thinking right, they were right, going to right. get out of this. Um, but it is, it, it was very impactful. I was engrossed for the entire runtime. I, I, I loved it. Well, let me, let me, it's, fu- it's funny you say that because I am a um, testimony to your, to your sort of example there. So mm. I can't remember the last time I so rude having seen a trailer before a movie. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because, because I knew nothing about the content of the film, but I had seen the trailer. Now the trailer is a fantastically constructed trailer. I mean, yes. it, is, yeah, it, is. it is, it's excellent. What unfortunately the trailer will do in the excellent, excellently constructed nature of it is prop you up, prop up your expectations for something the movie isn't really interested in delivering. Right. right. Um, and what I wrote down in, in my notes for this viewing is the phrase marvelously frustrating. I had mm-hmm. never had such a marvelously frustrating experience or I couldn't recall having such a marvelously frustrating experience is the first time I watched this movie. I see that because if you haven't watched this movie, I would definitely recommend watching it. It is not. Yeah. Uh, I, would we, I mean, we, we've, we've covered far more grotesque and sort of off putting material. Um, this has some frightening imagery and it's, in, I think you might, maybe you'll echo this. It's very suspenseful, um, but it's not, yes, it's not hard to watch in terms of the things that necessarily you're that are physically on screen. Um, I do agree. Yeah. That said, so, so um, we're, we're going to unpack this in a very, in very specific ways. So not just the trailer, but the title invokes a very specific kind of object that right. you are anticipating. You're anticipating the movie to deliver. Yeah. Um, so it's so funny, man. Like I will often, once I've seen a piece of media that I'm anxious about or interested in or, or really like, or whatever, I've got my kind of go-to critics that I like to go read. Okay. What did they say? What did they think? Right. And just to, just to kind of gain some perspective. Um, usually that's more from a fun position. Like, Hmm, here's the things I'm thinking about. I wonder how it gels with that. When I came out of the movie It Comes at Night at the theater, Reed, I was, I needed context. I was like, I don't, mm. I don't know what to make of what I just saw. Um, 
I, it was it was so funny because I was experiencing what I think the nerds I rail against <laughs> don't know how to compartmentalize. And what I mean by that is I was experiencing that animus. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. I think I'm pissed off at this movie, but I'm actually really impressed with it, but I'm kind of pissed off at it. Right. Uh, right. Because where was the monster? You know what I mean? Sure. It was yeah, like, of course. Of course. You, you, the movie, and, and, and we can go into this a little bit if you want to walk down this path. Like, sure. Let's do it. The, tr- the trailer definitely does suggest, and the movie flirts with suggesting that there is some sort of external threat. Yeah. That isn't, that, that is, that is, uh, common to the horror genre, you yeah. know, maybe An it's a monster in the woods. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a monster in the woods. Maybe it's a ghost haunting the thing. Maybe it's the Blair Witch, whatever. Like you are expecting that throughout the movie. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. Mm-mm. Like, and, and so then the movie does not, it's just not interested in going there. Right. And it's a much more realistic, grounded kind of event that has propelled the actual events of the movie. Sure. Yeah. Did, 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 how did your experience gel with that? Like, did you, did you know enough about the movie to know, okay, I know what I'm not going to get and thus I can set aside certain expectations? I don't know if I, I don't think I ever I, I really sort of tried to avoid spoilers for this film in any capacity. I didn't read any reviews of it. I didn't listen to anything about it. Um, but what's fascinating is that I did sort of instinctively, maybe just because I had seen Krisha or Krisha or however you say her name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe because I had seen that and kind of yeah, knew the sensibilities that this director was keen towards. I kind of suspected going into it. I was like, okay, we're not going to get Monster of the Week. Like, there's not going to be right, uh, right, a very right. definitive sort of uh, battle. And that's exactly what I was expecting oh, was Monster of the Week. Okay, gotcha. So, you know, yeah. you don't get it. <laughs> so, uh, so, I didn't actually... What I did think was possibly going to happen is I thought there was going to be some sort of influential force that was pushing right. certain key elements of the narrative uh, in certain specific ways. You know what it reminded me a lot of, even though you definitively do see uh, her character in this film, is it reminded me a lot of The Witch. Not just because it was the same studio, sure. A24, but it reminded me it. a lot of The Witch. Uh, the dread building, the the imminent threat, um, but also kind of the unraveling from within, sort of yep. sort of playing. Yeah, out. I would I would definitely put those in similar categories. Um, but you know, in the witch, you do actually see the witch a, a small right. handful of times. Um, and in this one, dude, I tell you, man, the the freakiness of some of the shots. Here's what I wrote down. Uh, I wrote down about maybe two notes for this film. The rest is just sort of swirling around in my head while I'm trying to trying to piece it together. Um, but one of the notes I wrote down and this will, I hope this is not just too wild to not make sense, but I said, um, this film uses darkness the way most films use light that in, in, in sense of most films seem to want to push the light to a place where you see very specific things. This film seems to use darkness to obscure very specific things to where there are shadows placed in very deliberate places that you cannot you cannot see what's happening i mean like, like the sh- some of the shots when they're out in in the the woods at night and skirting their flashlight across the trees is just hypnotic in the way that it it suddenly the light will be cascading across the screen and then there's a new branch or a new trunk that there was no when it moves past there's no longer any shape or resonance of like it is it is completely obscured 
unless the light is directly hitting. Well, it. I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you remember about three quarters of the way through, uh, two thirds of the way. This is when Stanley runs off the dog. Oh yeah, what a runs great off. scene! There's a sh- there's a shot as Travis is chasing after him, and it's it's a wide shot of kind of wooded in a wooded area, but in the foreground there's this real craggly or craggy sort of tree branch thing that's that's obscuring yes. some of the background yes but the shot is framed through a kind of a big knot in the in the it's not a tree trunk but you know what i'm saying yeah it's a yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. sticks right. and it's it's an amazing shot oh um, yeah i know exactly what you're talking about it's killer well and you know it's interesting you said the witch even as i was saying that i was thinking of which is the scott snyder graphic mm. novel but like Let's let's jump in a little bit. So I do. I know you said you've got very few physical notes. Oh yeah, I only have like one or two. And in terms of likes dislikes, uh, I've got more notes under scares than I do likes dislikes. Um, (laughs) You'll get a kick out of this. So one, I actually think to to piggy to to double back a little bit on assessing an initial viewing, even though I'd seen it and wasn't like fully dialed in for the entirety of a second viewing, I was much more gracious and found a lot more pleasure in the second viewing just cause, mm, just cause okay. I'd sort of, I'd, I'd kind of abandoned those expectations sure, that kind of hampered sure. the first one and Understood. really was able to plug in to dude. I will say this, like regardless of what the movie ultimately delivers or doesn't in terms of your desire for a monster or not, it is dreadful. Yes. I mean, oh, intensely. The, the the film craft of of lots of long takes, the the score, the tension. Mm-hmm. I don't know. A movie like this gives you. You and I have talked about this over the last year and a half ish as we've done the Fear of God. But in terms of credit given to performers in horror films, or the the, the lack of occasionally giving credit uh, to those actors, like. I'm thinking of the scenes where, say, like Travis has run out into the woods and whether it's a dream sequence or the real when he's chasing Stanley, what the hell did this director tell him he's seeing? Because the look on that actor's face is pure dread, like otherworldly, inhuman dread of whatever he's witnessing. Yes, yes. And whether it's that or just I, I kept thinking about the stakes for a movie whose threat is so obscured from your comprehension, those actors, the stakes are eminent and real and devastating. Yes. Like the, the way they interact with each other, the heightened, it's not just, Oh, there's Joel Edgerton yelling right, at that guy. Right, 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 you know what right. I mean? It is, it is like, no, there are very clear rules mm-hmm. and to, to break a rule is to endanger us all. And you're out of here. You know what I mean? Like oh it is, gosh. it is very real and very powerful watching these characters under threat. Oh, absolutely. That's where they're living. Yeah. Um, the scene, I wanted, uh, just real quick, ahead, the, the scene, yeah. uh, where they're at the dinner table arguing or, which, or, or which part the, uh, the talk, the time where they're trying to figure out who opened the door. Or who unlocked oh, the door? I've, I've got I've got that on my scares. Oh like, man, yeah. Well, we'll talk about it when you get there. Because oh, yeah, gosh. well, well, I, I, it was so funny in talking about the conventions of the movie, the long takes, the scores, and things like that. You'll love this. So, I did see it in the theater, but it was earlier in the year, and so I didn't remember everything about it. And it's a movie about mood and atmosphere. 
my Apple TV is what I watch 99% of my media through and it's been buggy and it makes me so angry. It mm. like makes me Hulk, this incredible Hulk rage, <laughs> you know, when it, when it gets glitchy. <laughs> so I'm watching it comes at night and this is like, there's probably 10, 15 minutes left in the movie and it's one of Travis's final dreams. It's the dream within a dream. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, the inception. Yes. Basically. Yes. It's yes. scary as hell. Oh man, well, it's terrifying. If you remember, it's it's a long push down the hallway, and he's holding a lantern down that scary friggin' hallway with all yes. these smiling portraits of family folk. So yes. scary. So the scene happens, and it's it's he's in you know you got the, you got this long tunnel sort of image. That, that ends in the background uh, with the lantern and him standing in front of the door at the end of the hall. Well, then this audio starts happening of Stanley the dog barking, and, and I'm just enraptured by this image of Travis Stanley in the hall, and there's all this other audio happening. Read. For like a solid minute and a half, I didn't realize my Apple TV had glitched out and had frozen the screen. <laughs> That's how enraptured I was at the moment. I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? Why is I mean, it's a little weird that I'm hearing these things that I'm not seeing, but it kind of makes sense because this is that kind of movie, and oh it's so God. scary. Like, it had totally frozen, that and is, I didn't know it. That is, and you know what? I, I'm totally there with you because in this film, I would have believed that. Yes, absolutely. I right. probably would have sat there with well, you like, like, wow, this is really my, this is a bold my choice. My subconscious, yeah, my subconscious was kind of like, no, Nathan, Nathan, it's you. You're, you're, it's just technology glitching. My conscious mind was like, oh, God. So that was a, I, I have that under likes, dislikes. My, the only other thing I have under likes, dislikes, I don't know if it's a like or a dislike. From a filmmaking standpoint, it's a, it's a like. From a story standpoint, it's an imminent dislike. It's an utter and absolute one. Is the final shot of the two parents oh, at the empty table. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my no, God. No, I understand. And, and it's devastating. It's really devastating. The, I don't know about you, but I got the distinct impression, just sort of reactionary. I could not quite tell because the moment is kind of brief. I could not tell. I mean, the, the, the thing that I'm clearly supposed to tell from that, because they've shown us that frame, that specific frame, like three or four other times in the movie. Right. So the one thing I'm specifically supposed to get is Travis is gone. So now, yep. now Travis is done. What I also could not tell, because it was just like one little brief little shot, is I couldn't tell if they had also become infected now at this point. Um, no, I don't think so. You think I that think they're just, they're just devastated yeah. because he's gone. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, and I'm going to add to it. I don't think they are at, as – I don't think you're meant to visualize them as infected. Um, I do think the sledgehammer of that moment, yes, is Travis's absence. But almost more than that is the specter of their imminent death themselves. You know what I mean? Oh, like, it's yeah. like, yeah. we're, we're not going to change. We're not, we can't run from this thing. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. In other words, you, you almost forecast that there's another 30 minutes to this movie. That 30 minutes is going to finish with her by herself at the table or him by right. himself at the table. You know what I mean? Just this yeah. continual yeah. absence and depart, departing of, of loved ones. Um, fading away. Is it, if you, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, um, unless you have other 
specific notes and likes like let's jump into scares what do you, what you got uh well uh yeah i mean i or i would praise all of the i would yeah we can definitely jump into scares i would praise all of the things that you're praising the the performances are strong uh the filmmaking sensibilities are really strong um this is a film that really heavily capitalizes on what you don't see can be just as terrifying as what you what they show you um to well and to even you. even to 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 amplify what you're saying i'm sorry if i totally no you're, you there, you're fine you're fine it's not even just what you don't see it's what you don't know like i agree as a view as a viewer of this movie you are uh, to 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 borrow uh, an element you referenced a minute ago you're utterly in the dark you're like i'm not sure yes. what is going on why these people are so terrified but they are terrified yeah and you know yeah and clearly they are not they are not in the know uh, well I, I shouldn't say that clearly because this is a lot of inference that i'm making but um it's it's a safe inference given how they handle sickness when it comes that they right. they don't have a deep understanding of what all this is either it's just like you've, sure. you've got the sickness sure. so like like poor old bud you know take you out and and do away with you and burn the body like it's it, they don't understand this any more than anybody else does at least they don't appear to um and i think it, it's funny i've i've tried in the you know cuz it's now as the time we're recording it's been less than 24 hours since i've seen it so in this brief amount of time i've been trying to wrap my head around what i think it is like what? What I yeah. think the it of the title is referring to. I did well, read. My, yeah, I did. Thematic um, notes, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we we can save some of this conversation for when we get there. But I did read in the trivia where uh, the the entire cast, whether or not they were directly informed what the director and writer thought, uh, had to sign non disclosure agreements that they would not reveal what any any sort of clues as to what the director had given them to what it is, uh, the it of the title. But I just found that I found that fascinating. There's a lot of things uh, to transition into scares. There's a lot of really horrifying things that take place in this movie. Uh, the sense of dread is relentless and palpable. Like it, yep. it is a 90 minute clenched fist. Like there, yep. there is no relief. Uh, there's maybe a couple of blips of moments like right after Will arrives with his family and everything. And, and there's a couple of like, happy close well there is, yeah yeah there is this like kind of pleasant montage of them sort right. of acclimating to each other and you're just like yeah this, this isn't is gonna not last. gonna go well yeah, exactly. <laughs> enjoy right. it while you enjoy it while you have it so but yeah so so uh, but apart from that yeah it's i mean just the whole film is relentlessly relentlessly dreadful there's a couple of very well calculated and I think very effective jump scares. Uh, oh, almost all of them involving, and some of them may be on your list, but almost all of them involving, uh, you know, Travis's dreams and yes. the things that he sees take place yes. in his dreams. Well, and it's funny, just further adding to adding to the mystique of the whole goings on, like from a from a storycraft perspective. I imagine it was the screenwriter, you know, as opposed to just the direct, a director choice or something like it, it was a pretty brilliant call to, to make Travis's dream sequences part of the narrative just because it amplifies. Cause, cause you could almost say they're, they're not necessary, you know, kind of story wise, but right. if, if dreams are expressions of subconscious, you are getting a peek into his 
internalizing what's going on in his life. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like oh, absolutely, absolutely. His, his perspective on what's happening lends us some sort of peek behind the curtain of what's going on in this world. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. Quick note, I, by the way, go ahead. Uh, yeah. The director wrote this. So it's, it's a writer director. Oh, auteur okay. sort of. I, piece. Yeah. I did yeah. not realize that. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Um, yeah. I wrote the initial dream sequence with the long push down the hallway. Yeah. Uh, to grandpa on the bed, recoiling and vomiting. Oh, oh my God. And I had the volume turned up pretty loud too, which was a mistake. That was an that was an error in judgment on my part because the the film is relatively quiet, you know, like it like yeah, it's pretty yeah. subdued. So I'm sitting there volume down, and I'm I even had my hand like on the volume because my family was sleeping at the time that I watched it. So I even had my hand like on the volume, like oh man, what's about to happen? And then it just it gives you no warning, it gives you no ramp up. It's just silent, and then screeching, howling, banshee esque kind of kind of a yowl and i was like oh good grief almost came off the couch yeah it was it was horrifying well and it's been a while since i've seen a movie so effective at just slow takes i mean it is, yeah this is a this is a movie that just is not interested in getting you there fast because the slower it takes to get there the more freaked out you're gonna be yes i mean it's it is so deliberately paced and i love it i've got several scares here uh, many of them are the dreams. The dream of Kim. Oh, vomiting know. up in his mouth. Ma- yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, and what's so, like, disturbing about that scene? It's funny you invoked the witch here because even watching it last night, I wouldn't have remembered to bring it up in this conversation. But even watching it last night, I thought about the 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 burgeoning sexuality of the children characters in the witch and how they don't know what to do with that as characters, you know? Right. And, 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 and and I think what's fascinating about this movie is like in a normal world, Travis is having totally normal dreams. You know what I mean? Like this is total, you're sure like attractive female he's interested in. He's having these dreams about her, but then you add this, freaky deaky layer of the horror they're living through it's grotesque element oh my gosh it's so yeah um so there's that um i've already referenced the dream within a dream um where i mean that's the that's the final dream where he's chasing stanley through the woods he wakes up he he quote unquote wakes up sees uh, the boils on him yes. and chocolate. I, I call it chocolate syrup. He uh, chocolate syrups. Uh, yeah. Um, sees grandpa. I honestly, th- so I'm, I'm saving my scariest moment for last, but uh, I've got one more dude. The tragedy and, and sort of layers of the scene when the, I, I call it the brother scene when will is talking oh is will my is will the new guy will's the Who's new guy edgerton's character yeah I can't remember uh, edgerton's, character's Edger- name. edgerton's character is named paul will is paul the one he brings into his house right yeah when you when you learn there's no brother oh my gosh like that is an exercise in acting like yes the two of them in that moment of both knowing yep but not but not playing the card fully <sighs> um well, because what's so devastating about that is like, I do think, correct me if you think this is a wrong interpretation. I think you are ultimately to think, meant to think Will, Kim and Andrew are totally kind of harmless. Like oh, yeah, they are yeah. just 
they are just folks like these guys trying to get by. That's exactly and, what I think. And, yeah. and Will, in a moment of weakness, spun some half truths to try to get some to try to ingratiate himself to these folks. Yes, I agree. Well, this is a world where your half truths are going to get you killed mm-hmm. because you we can't abide it. Uh, and and that moment is just the death knell for the whole story. Yeah. And at that point, you know? he's so comfortable. With his search right. situation with Paul, that he's not remembering. Oh yeah, right. Months, right. Uh, weeks ago, months ago, however long it was, I spun him a, a lie that said I have a I have a brother, and he covers it quickly. But but we all know. Yeah, everybody knows. Yeah, you know it's like oh yeah. crap. Well, the moment that is, I don't know if this is your scariest moment, but occasionally a film will make this will make me sort of feel this way, and I'll have to do this. Um, immediately following the film because of this sequence um i I went i went in and sat down by my son's bed and just sort of like put my hand on his back um because of that whole sequence where he has either through sleepwalking or something wandered into the grandpa's room Uh and and then of course all of that and then he crawls into the bed but 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 i knew even then at that moment i was like he made it into the grandpa's room like this this is going to be the turning point, like something. You know, something hey, di- real quick, real real quickly for me, I feel really stupid hearing you say that now. I don't know that I consciously registered that it was the grandpa's room that he. Yeah, was in. he made it into. Bud's I, think, room. I think. Yeah, I think in my head, I thought he had a room and he just ended up on the floor. But no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, why that changes things yeah. directly. Yeah, he was okay. he was located in grandpa's room, and so then, right, right. Then immediately following that, and and so like from a very direct narrative standpoint, like God only knows what happened in the middle of the night. Maybe the kid just got up and wandered, was trying to find the bathroom, or was just you know half asleep or whatever, stumbled into the room, got sick from just being in Grandpa's room because Grandpa's room is like you know whatever Grandpa had, and then that you know starts this whole unraveling of this little you know microcosmic thing that they've got going on. But uh, yeah, when when that all culminates up and Paul fires and, oh, and yeah. Kim is just yeah. screeching out that that he's killed her baby. Right. I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah. I, I, I almost paused the movie. I didn't ultimately pause it. Yeah. I, I waited yeah. until the end of it. But I went and sat in my in my son's room for a little while and just put my hand on his back because like, yeah, so those those moments, they, they get to me, man. They just really do a number on me. And that was really devastating. Well, and. Yeah, and and we've had conversations along these lines before of a conscientious filmmaker, like the resistance to show any of that. Yes, exactly. In any sort of up close fashion is is far more devastating. I mean, it it is like the first time I saw the movie, I think I was so arrested by waiting to know what are we waiting on or getting to that I didn't quite feel that moment as much as I did in the second. Like I I was in tears. I was in tears during that scene, just straight up. Um. I mean, she's just so pitiful, um, oh, and 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 th- and Joel Edgerton. We've referenced him before on the gift. I think only the gift, right? That's the only one of his that we've covered. Yeah, uh, uh, he he's so good in this, and that moment of the of her screaming and the cameras on his face right before he finishes her too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I I don't think his. I don't think he was intending full on like kill this child no, from that no, no, that no. Fr- that initial gunshot, you know. Yeah, I don't but think that, so either. That second that that second shot is definitely intended to put her down. Yeah, um, no question. And you just see this look on his face that's real, 
broken yeah. and, and gone and resolute. Yeah. Ugh. And he falls apart shortly thereafter. I mean, because of the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, you could say it's because he understands Travis is sick. You could say it's because of a number of things, but he has a breakdown shortly thereafter, right. that whole that whole entire exchange. Yeah, and I think, I think too, it's just, you know, uh, uh, did you have any more for scares, specifically? No, my final, you, you would... You you alluded to, but my final scare was just the gunning down of Andrew. Yes. Oh, it's it's devastating. Um, I'm trying to. Which is so funny because like this is going to sound like such a terrible thing to say, but I I don't really like Andrew. You know what I mean? Like oh like, no, I know the what scene. You mean. No, the, yeah. the scene when it's like I don't remember. I don't remember. Shut up, kid. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. It's yeah. Life no, or death here. Mean. Just remember something. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. But uh, but I think I think that's the thing that. You know, I don't know, this is happening in real time, so I don't know if I would land here. And you had some very, you seemed to have some very specific ideas about this. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity to pivot to you uh, for some thematic stuff. But one of the things that I was thinking, because you spend, with a title like It Comes at Night. Right. Like, I spend the film, again, kind of having an instinct that we're not going to get a monster of the week. I kind of spend the film wondering what it is referring to. And one of the things that I kind of landed on, at least in the watching of the movie, was that it is this sort of, I don't even know the words that I would, that, that I would use to try to wrap around it, but a, a sort of insatiable fear or dread that will cause you to do things that you know are going to end in your own destruction, or at the very least, the destruction of those you love, but that that fear and that dread just cannot be left alone. Like, and, and here's what I'm thinking. They just wanted to leave. Will and Kim and Andrew, they just wanted to leave. And I get it. Uh, I think uh, his, his wife, Sarah, she even says, well, I, I think she says at one point, well, what happens when they run out of food? Like, they're going to come back, you know, like they're, they're going right. to come back and they know where we are and, and they know our rules and they know how to get in and all this other sort of stuff. So, um, I get like her sort of putting forth that fear out there. But I, I remember thinking in that moment, kind of mentally trying to, to, to beg Paul to let them go. Like, just, just let them go. Just let them leave. Let them take whatever they want and just let them leave. But this fear that they have has driven them to a point where that's not an option anymore. Like, they're, they're not going to just let these people go. They're not going to just l- let ways part. There has to be this finality to it. And, uh, and I don't know. Like I said, this, this, sort of thematic concept is almost happening in real time. But that was something that I really sort of got under my skin about this whole notion again of just what fear will drive you to do and what fear and terror will, will push you towards. But, but yeah. Well, well, I think, I think in a real literal sense, you know, like what I wrote down, I've got a number of notes here for theme, but some may sort of thread into each other, but, I said, yeah, the title, what does it mean? And I wrote fear, paranoia, panic. I do think, and on a certain level, post-apocalyptic stories are all similarly about this, but this particular version of that does it even more so. Several thoughts are happening simultaneously here, but one, scripturally, I thought of prowling around like a roaring lion. Yeah. Seeking you know, the way to se- right. right, right. Steal, kill, and destroy. This this sort of 
in the night you are vulnerable yeah in the night is when people succumb the most to those sorts of fearful thoughts and paranoid you know sort of trains of idea uh in in the nighttime but more than that so there's two kind of main threads i want to pull out here for a second but like one i wrote down that i think is is pretty major and that's i wrote fear of the other Mm. and i do think what's fascinating about this movie is it really doesn't care what has gone on in the world yeah uh in terms of the specifics it only cares about how that thing that has gone on affects human relationship right and what i wrote down is a world created by fear and paranoia and absent compassion is a world where everyone is enemy and there is no community Mm, yes because like even paul says to travis at one point He's sort of admonishing him for what he notes is admiring of Kim from afar. And he says, you can't trust anybody but family as good as they may seem. Mm, Right, right. But what's interesting about that read is like the movie begins with them excommunicating and torching Bud. Right, right. Which isn't which which isn't uncalled for in the circumstances, but it is saying their family, you know, like. Right, right. So you can't totally have this conversation without acknowledging sort of the sort of contagion element of the movie itself. But I do think there's something real specific intending to be discussed about what happens in a culture deprived of trust. Right. And, and, and compassion. And, and, and this may sound, you know, uh, a tinfoil hat of me, but I do think there are forces at work in our culture and society that are, that are that are interested in division and and i don't even mean just in a literal spiritual sense i I mean sure right right just 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 market forces or or to me it might be like i'm going to draw a very direct line here like the nra you know these sorts of entities that in order to cultivate their bottom line if you will promote fear <laughs> you know i yeah, mean yeah and I, I mean that in a real clinical sense i don't even mean that in a judgmental sense you know like sure if if you're afraid of the other you're going to arm yourself if you're afraid of the other yeah. you're going to steal yourself against and and i just think as as i illustrated or tried to point out with that final shot what's so scary about that is just this diminishing community mm-hmm. you know that that yes. ultimately they're Again, flash forward 30 minutes of movie, maybe a week of real time in the movie, and it's just going to be one of them. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I don't know if you have any thoughts in response to that, but fear of the other, that was a really big okay, yeah. sort of. Okay, yeah, please. Yeah, just uh, this idea that you you referenced that brother scene earlier where we realized yeah. that Will has been lying to him about a brother. Well, in normal conversation, somebody might be willing to like, trust him enough to call him out on it and be like, Hey, so, so did you, did you lie to me? I did have you tied up and put a sack over your head and blah, blah, blah. Right, 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 right. Did having some sympathy? Right, right. Yeah. Did you lie to me because of that? Or, you know, or what, what was going on? Have you lied to me about anything else? Like now that you kind of see how things operate, like, is everything okay? But no, it's like, it immediately introduces this element of distrust that then festers and filters through every future interaction. 
that we see between right, any of them. Right. And and so yeah, the the fear of the other is so easily validated. It is so easily validated. Like when you fear someone who is not like you or someone who is outside of your experience culturally or sure, socially sure. or whatever. When you fear that person, then uh, anything, anything is capable of validating that fear. Even the most yes. innocuous, uh, seemingly sensible and reasonable and perfectly understandable things like lying in a moment where you're being grilled because somebody's got a gun and is threatening to blow you away and destroy your family and blah, blah, blah. Like, Plenty of people might make up a lie on the spot for that, you know, but right, right. and that's just that's just what it makes me think. So my only sort of immediate thought to that is that uh, fear of the other is so easily validated. It's so quickly affirmed. Well, and I think I think, too, and I do have another themat- thematic thought that's a little more muted than this one. But I, one of the reasons I would say fear of the other is such a, is such an intentional predominant theme is you reference this already, but the dining room scene or the dinner table scene once once the andrew stuff starts yes because because what's so amazing from a film craft standpoint about that scene is the intentionality of what we the audience doesn't know yes because we like travis and so are prone to side with him but we are also empathetic and have seen enough to maybe buy into the viability of Will and that family. Yes, And exactly. so, we are conflicted. Yes. And that's a really impressive feat to pull off. Yeah. Um, but, but is really, again, why I would say fear of the other, truth versus trust, is really on this movie's mind in a very palpable way. Because in a normal scenario, not in the middle of a, a, a broken society plagued by an actual plague, how would you handle that situation? You know what I mean? I know, like, like, right. you know, Joel Edgerton's sitting there and bless his heart. He's stuck. Like, yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you reconcile this situation? You've got the child who's an unreliable narrator and can't tell his story. He specifically got, can't remember. Right. Right. You've got Travis who only experienced and saw so much but is accounting for a door that's open, the door that's never supposed to be open. Yeah. You've got him saying, what are you talking about? He's too short. All of these things are real and true. Yes. You know, like, yeah. Well, and, and, and thus, I, how do you, how do you live and deal? Right. You know, well, because like, that was one of the, the impressions that I got is I was like sitting there and I didn't know where the narrative was going to go from there, but I was sitting there in the moment and I'm like, I don't know if the son's telling the whole truth, but they're they're hitting it pretty hard that he's too short to open that door. So it probably right, was not right. him opening that door. So what does that then mean? Does that mean it was the dad? Does that mean it was Travis himself sleepwalking in some sort of bizarre dream state? Um, exactly what it is. And well, not- if if I can if I can throw at you, I, I sure. personally, my interpretation of that scene is I, I do think Andrew did it. Um, Interesting. Okay. I, 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 and, and which isn't me indicting Andrew. It's simply to say, I think the, the short factor that will offers is meant to give each character a valid position. Like, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. to me, it makes sort of sense that Andrew might be able to have done this. It, it's it's a little it stretches a little bit, but I don't think Travis would do it. And I think Will has a valid point. 
so anyway, the point I'm trying to make is simply, I think him offering the shortness of Andrew as a conversation point is really just meant to have everybody on an even argument standpoint. I you could know, see we've that. all got, yeah, we've all got valid things here, which means it's almost that much more impossible to reconcile what right. we do. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and isn't that the moment, uh, correct me if I'm misremembering, but isn't that the moment that it's like the open door is where they found Stanley is where they found the dog. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. the door is open yeah. and then that's when they find him bloodied and, and yeah. just jacked up, which talk about a quickly add to your scares moment, man. I almost freaked out when I'm looking up there like, oh my God, what happened to this dog? Because <laughs> that I dog, know. I mean, well, right, right. He looks so he just, tangled. He's just, he's been plagued. He's got the plague. Well, I couldn't tell if the story was trying to tell me that he had the plague or that he had come in contact with some other kind of wild animal. Like I, I couldn't tell because he looks, he looks like he's been wounded. He doesn't just look like he's gotten sick or something. Like he looks wounded. Now maybe that is right. Maybe that is something that is an element of the plague is that their their skin right. just bleeds. You know, like I, I you know, right. I'm not quite sure, but but the but yeah, it, it was just the film itself. I think is playing with this notion, like you, like we've both already sort of alluded to. Uh, I think you explicitly stated it at one point that. <laughs> You could make the statement, it comes at night. Well, what comes at night? We don't know precisely. You know, it, right. it's, it's yeah. like, because it, yeah. it is this yeah. whole fear of the unknown, you know, that it's like, because uh, uh, he says, uh, Paul at one point says, yeah, we don't go out at night, like none of us ever. Right. Unless right. we can absolutely help it. And the film never explores why. Because they go out in the sure. daytime without masks. Like, so right. who cares? Yep. So what is right. it in the dark that's not there in the light time? And it's, uh, it, yeah, it's really fascinating to think about that. And, and I would almost wrap, uh, again, to repeat that sequence, you know, like it comes at night. Well, what comes at night precisely like the, 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 sure. the, the idea of just perpetual fear driving you to a place to where, um, again, you're, you're, you're sort of, well, and what's, go- what's, what's fast, what's fascinating on a meta level is like there are many movies that I love for their ambiguity and sure. and and am totally at ease and resolved and settled and content and happy with the ambiguity much of which I would say about this but it still gnaws at you yeah, you know what I mean yeah, you're, you're still like no but really what is what it? What is it? You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. I tell you. Okay, I get it. I get it. Academically and intellectually, I'm on board with you, buddy. But but no, but but no, really. Tell what is it? Tell <laughs> me. Um, yeah, it's like uh, I, I just want to send a big. He'll never listen to this, but I just want to send a big thank you to Jeff Nichols for pre- pre- preparing me to watch movies like It Comes at Night. You know, with his whole uh, ambiguous, we don't really know what's really going on in the story sure. kind of thing. Sure. Um, but uh, I did. Yeah, wa- I, mean, I did want to throw one other sort of uh, thematic thread at you and just sort of see. Sure, sure. It, it's it's a little less uh, formidable than 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 the fear of the other. But oh, I think something this movie. So so although although it is entwined, I think I I, I think what's interesting to me about this movie is you know you've got this family unit which on a certain level. And by fa- and I even mean the, the the Paul Sarah Travis family unit. So so not even the sort of fly in the ointment of Will in that family. So right. so like the family unit we're we're meant to be like on board with. So uh, ostensibly, we are rah rah gung ho for for them. But but the events of this world 
continue to push us further to the entropy of, of community. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's almost like if you had this, this sort of linear, this sort of line and on one end is fully diverse enmeshed, relational, beautiful community. On the other end, you have utter isolation, you know, loneliness, you know, just, just inability to connect. And it's like what we're watching is almost the last vestiges before that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, yeah. there is no community and, and taking that a step further, what really was arresting to me, um, it's not as prevalent as fear of the other, mm-hmm. but it did really haunt me was I, what I wrote down is what, what happens when touch is forbidden. Ooh. Yeah. Um, because, because I think what's interesting and we alluded not by name to this last week, uh, a healthy bit. Um, but the sort of me too movement moment we're in, which, uh, in many ways I'm very much on board with, I feel like we've referenced him before on the podcast, but you're familiar with Jean Vanier, right? Large oh, very community. Much so. yeah, yeah. Um, and we have talked about him. Before. I would encourage any of, yeah, I would encourage any listener to go find his NPR interview. It is, it is beautiful and holy, but in it, he talks about touch. And he and Krista Tippett have this lovely sort of back and forth. And he, he, he laments how grossly sexualized we have made touch. Yes. Mm. Um, which isn't him lamenting sexuality at all. It's, just, mm. it's simply saying what a sad world and what a sad state of being and how fractured we are when, when, we, when we either recoil at touch or we reject it completely or right. we have been or we have been abused by it right and and this and this movie just moves in that direction which is isolation untouchability and it's like what happens when we just lose that capacity to to yeah. have tenderness and and care and and touch i don't know if that makes any sense at all but oh it um, makes a ton of sense i'm sitting here thinking about the the notion of we i think that we would ignore i think most sensible people would acknowledge that there's a difference between these two things but i think as a culture we've lost the understanding of intimacy apart from sexuality of being just of being just close Without, right. I mean, I mean, they joke about how, you know, men and women can't just be friends. And but even more than that, uh, men, two men or two women in just just an intimate closeness of relationship. And people are going to their their minds are going to go to some strange sexualized place. And I do think that we we have overly sexualized just touch and contact in general, you know, there's a concept in in my specific church circles, and I believe in your specific cir- church circles as well, of the laying on of hands, of sure. of the, uh, contact being made, and the healing in scriptural contexts that accompanies that, that accompanies right. the 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 laying on of hands, and that is not in any way perverse. That is not in any way. Uh, sexualized or or uh, or abused in any capacity, but of course, I, not to get on a little mini sermon because we don't have the time for it and it's not really that necessary. But 
the enemy of our souls has a converse sort of perverse uh, opposite counterfeit to everything that is pure and holy that we have that represents. So the healing nature of a community that can be in contact and can lay hands on one another with deep intimacy and without any threat of sexual abuse, um, right. the, the perverted opposite of that is one where every touch has an automatic connotation. Where right. any where right. any, any contact has an automatic connotation, and dude. I am not. Hey, let me interrupt you real quick. I am not making this up. I'd I need to figure out what I would say to a viewer, a listener, to Google it and find it. You know, in, in my um, sort of political observations these days, there was this video from some sort of. It wasn't like C-SPAN. It wasn't C-SPAN, but it was like that. You know, it was like a some sort of hearing or some sort of conference. Sure. Right, right. And there are there are two men sitting next to each other at a table uh, of a panel kind of situation. One of them who is, you know, kind of clearly he's he's smiling and he's and kind of d- despite what seems like tension in the room, he's kind of enjoying being there or whatever having this conversation. The other the other one, you can tell they're at odds sort of philosophically. The okay. the I'll call him I'll call him the fun guy and the not fun guy. The fun guy, I'm not making this up, man. I, I wish I knew how to tell you who these people were so we could Google it and and tell people to find it. Not because to make judgments of people, but because of this conversation. Fun guy and just trying to sort of lighten the mood a little bit kind of puts his hand on the arm of not fun guy and read you would have think a snake bit him and really? uh, the not 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 fun guy because he 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 recoils i am not making this up and he says i am a happily married uh, heterosexual man and this is not a pre-. and it was it was this oh, it was no. yes and your heart breaks and and uh, these are stupid names for them but just to distinguish them fun guy like He's clearly like, what on earth is going on? Yes, and, and tries yes, to yes. tries to play it off and like, hey man, you know your thing's your thing. I, I didn't mean to because there was no, it was utterly harmless, you know. Sure, but, of course. But, but yeah. we are but we are so acculturating ourselves to any and every touch having that sort of sexual dimension. Yes. And hear me, our, our bodies have a sexuality to them on, of course. on yeah, yeah. all sorts of levels. It, mm-hmm. It's not, we, we don't, you know, to be a fully integrated person is to acknowledge that, but good Lord, what a dreadful place when, you know, uh, an absolutely harmless sort of gesture is, is recoiled from. And, and right. I, I am not that person who assigns real spiritual sort of, but, but you watch it and you're like, wow. That is dangerous and scary. Yes, <laughs> yes, know? and I, I couldn't agree more. I think there is a there's a there's a reason why um, you've you've seen the film Calvary. We watched it together. Yep, there's that yep. moment where uh, the main character from Calvary, which by the way, listeners, I haven't said it in a while. Like, watch Calvary. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite movies. It's beautiful and lovely and powerful. And yes, I, especially dare I say, especially at two a.m. Yes, <laughs> yes. Regardless of how tired you are, when you watch it, um, but uh, but there's a scene where the protagonist, who is a, a priest, is Brendan merely Gleason, walking who's beautiful down. And wonderful. Yeah, Brendan Gleeson. Please be my friend. Listen to this podcast and please be my friend. But um, he's walking down the road with a like a teen girl, 
He is having the oh, most benign, right, right, innocuous right. conversation with her, just passing the time of day. And we know, because we've spent a lot of time with him, that there is nothing at all insidious about right. his conversation with her. But her guardian or father or somebody drives up, like screeches the brakes, yanks out and says, get in the car to her, and then starts right. laying into him. You know, insinuating like, oh, yeah, you were just having a friendly conversation, huh? And the look on his face when the man drives off, the look of of pain and hurt and accusation and shame and and just everything. It's a it's a powerful thing for us to think about in this moment, because did you see did you see the movie The Hunt? Is that the name of it with Mads Mikkelsen? Okay, so here's what's funny. Very, Uh, very similar themes here. You have seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, okay. So, so I, it's been on my radar for a little while. Uh, I just got it from the library, like over the weekend. So oh, yeah. I, I plan to watch it. It so, will. Yeah. It, it's all of this. Yes. I mean, it's it's all of this. It's this notion of like you cannot, and it's it's what people have referred to. Man, we're going off on a tangent, but I think this is important. No, but it's all it's all in. It comes at night. I mean, it's, yes, it's, absolutely. The uh, the the assumption of the sinister in the the perfectly benign and innocuous because there is real danger we but see more danger than everywhere. that more than that i want to drive this home it's not just assigning sinister intent or motive to the benign it is refusing the right tender healthy and godly yes because of an assumption of the sinister yes exactly you know what i mean yeah, like exactly. it is it's not just saying what is neutral is bad. It's saying what is right, appropriate, healthy, and perhaps holy under certain contexts is bad. <laughs> yes, you exactly. Know? And yeah, exactly. And we see that we see that in so many places now. Like I honest to God, I say this in complete sincerity, I honest to God feel terrible for people who entered the priesthood because they felt a divine calling on their life to do good for their community and then are saddled with all kinds of assumptions and insinuations about who they are and what they must secretly be doing and all of these other kinds of things. The same thing happens with, uh, even though we ourselves would lash out against a lot of the sort of the more verbal vocal varieties of them, uh, with evangelicals, people who are sincerely devoted, uh, in their faith, but just there's, there's so much, uh, wrapped up in, and like you said, because there is, a lot of people who have abused those positions and who have abu- abused those situations because there are sinister things afoot, then we refrain and back away and retreat and shelter ourselves away from uh, and isolate ourselves from doing the thing that we know will be good for us if we do this. Right, right. But we right. don't do it because it's a, you know, fill in the blank on slippery slope or, uh, you know, right, we can't right. get the appearance of impropriety or can't do anything like that. I, I was having a conversation recently with um, someone who is on the board of a very large church, and I was talking to them about uh, just the difficulty in, like, uh, handling bereavement in the community because there are legal liabilities for even something as simple as like setting up a meal train or setting up things like uh, hospitality to to right, people because, right. you know, there's all kinds of opportunities for people to just get out and sue you and do all kinds of crazy things. And I, I know some of this may just be sort of spiderweb tangents, but I think my point is this, that I'm, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly agreeing with you that 
we have, to our own detriment, backed away from things that are genuinely wholesome, healing, and good for us because of ways that other people have abused similar things. So now we won't engage in the holy and the right and the good because it carries the stains, as it were, when I would even be bold enough to say, like, our faith cries the reverse. Christ became sin in order to reconcile us, you know, like like he he got his hands dirty. He dug right into the middle of it. He touched lepers. He he broke all kinds of those uh, uh, of those laws that were were frowned upon. Uh, you know, one of the most prominent passages in the book of John is the disciples walking up on him, talking with a woman who had a bad reputation and he's alone. Right. With her, right. You know, right. like and and again, you and I. Well, said, but take it even but take it a step further. You just referenced the healing, the le- healing, the lepers. I mean, like. To, to separate touch from the ministry of Jesus is to lose the ministry of Jesus. I agree. I mean, like it, yeah. it's just not there. I mean, I mean, whether it's, uh, whether it's acting towards him and, and the, the woman touching the hem of his robe and, and the power going out from it, or the, the woman breaking the, the ointment or the perfume on his feet, you know, like that he receives and, and, uh, so it's either that or him touching the leper as you like. Sure. I don't know, man. I, I just, I understand it, it, it is perilous, it, uh, not perilous in a nihilistic way, uh, but there is peril attached and we must take great care, um, in, in, in how we engage with each other. Yes. You've got to be deliberate and, yet, and intentional. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I just can't. I can't separate like the reason I brought up the hunt uh, and this doesn't spoil anything for you other than you'd see in the trailer. But like the reason that movie is so devastating to me is like, I think about that with, with me personally, like uh, I, I have such a, a, a love for like children and, and yeah. you know, like, like, and, and yet we live in a culture that would, I mean, I'm a large hairy dude, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, would assign so much, would assign so much stigma and whatever to to lovingness and affection towards children that that is true and right and appropriate. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's such a it's yeah. such a devastating sort of thing. Well, because Nathan, here's the thing. We do not trust each other anymore. Like we just don't. Right. right we do, we right, don't we right. are we are so untrusting as a society because let's be let's be candid about it because that trust has been so violated and abused for so yes. many years and that it's been covered up and you know stigmatized and all of these different things so yeah so we we don't we don't trust each other anymore and i think that's one thing that truly is devastating because man i'm going to try not to get my preach on at an hour and 15 minutes into the conversation but the fact is that kingdom work furthers community furthers contact and connectedness like the kingdom work does what does the enemies work further? Isolation, separation, division, division yep. you know, a, a, a severing of contact. And Mistrust. So, exactly. And so one of the things that one of the things that I think that happens in our society, it's not only with the Me Too movement, though that is probably one of the easiest examples to point to, but also with our politics and also with our 
uh, socialization, our labeling of certain people groups and, and ways we think about certain people uh, and types of people um, is that what will happen is that uh, we will we will find ourselves in a position where we feel like we've got all of that figured out and we we separate it out and we say, okay, well, now you are, we've talked about this before on the show where we say, well, now you are this thing. Now you right, are, right. now you are the sum of, of, of what this is, you know, and this is all that makes you up is that you have, you have done this thing or you are part of this group or you are attributable to this thing. So that is all you are. That is, that, that is as much as there is to it. And, and then we write people off. Because it's really easy to do that. You know, it's really easy to just sort of categorize somebody, slap a label on them and then throw them into that group and say, okay, well, now Mm -hmm. you're now you're that group. And right. right. And I think here's uh, uh, this is going to be probably a bit more bold and maybe a little bit more theologically forward than uh, than I am accustomed to being on the show. Maybe listeners will disagree with me when they hear me and they'll be like, read your talk like that all the time. Um, But I think this I think if the. If the enemy, which I do believe in an enemy of our souls, that's a whole separate conversation. But um, if the enemy wants to do, wants to further work, what he can probably do is establish a legitimate, uh, a legitimate problem where people, godly people have abused and done and, and reasonably uh, people that have been trustworthy in the past or have been seen as trustworthy have done hideous and heinous things and then use that to perpetuate and foster a culture of mistrust and to perpetuate and foster a culture of uh, where now we look twice and second guess and, and, and overthink and overcomplicate every benign motion. Anything sure. that happens then now has this very sinister air to it. Because how will we respond? How will we as people respond? Okay, we, uh, uh, hide your kids, hide your wife. Like you know, we just go. You know, <laughs> you know. I did that intentionally. Um, so, like you know, we will we will shelter ourselves in and say like, no, no, no. You can't trust anybody but family, no matter how nice they seem, no matter how much right, you like them. Right, you can't to right. bring it back to it's, it comes at night. No, right, you can't. Right. You can't trust anybody but family. Um, and then yeah, it's just it's a, it's an awful thing. I'm not going to get into any specifics, but I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to bring in the the um, scripture verse, and then I'm going to shut up. If you have more to say, then please feel free to. But um, somebody who was very close to me uh, recently went through a situation uh, in which there was some abuse that was discovered in their family, perpetuated against one of the children connected to their family. And I can remember, and it was perpetuated by uh, another family member. And I can remember one of the things that was said about adult, adult, adult to child, presumably. I mean, I'm just, tr- uh, just for yes, context, yes, trying yes, to yes. understand what we're yes. saying. Okay, right, right. Adult to child abuse, and one of the things that was said um, uh, by this dear friend of mine in sort of processing all of it is they said. Ultimately, this person who perpetuated the abuse, I mean, this faith convicts me. Uh, I'm trying to be as anonymous as possible, so forgive me if this is too vague. But uh, the person who I was speaking with in reference to their loved one 
and the person who had abused their loved one. They said of the abuser, they said, the truth is that they used to know the Lord and they have strayed a far way. And the most that I want from them, regardless of what justice is served to them, is that they come back to know the Lord. And I was so convicted and I was so humbled by just that expression, that that would be what they would say in response to this devastation that had hit their life. And the, the, the scripture that I was thinking in terms of bringing this in, which I'll bring in very quickly because I know we need to wind down, is uh, Psalm 91. Uh, which many uh, may be familiar with as it's commonly referred to as the protection psalm. Uh, I'm going to read the first verse and then I'm going to skip to the fifth one. The first verse says this. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And then verse five says, you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. And so much of what we've been talking about, I think, boils down to we reject, almost accidentally, we reject the holy do, for, for fear of what comes at night, for fear of what's sure, out there, for sure, fear of the plague, sure. for fear of uh, being infected. So we, we then, uh, by rote, uh, reject what we sort of spiritually know to be good and wholesome and right. And we reject that connectedness and that, uh, that further contact, if you will, um, that healing that comes from the laying on of hands. And people, uh, if anybody's sitting there listening and you don't understand what I mean by referencing that scripture, then uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'll talk to you more about that. But uh, there is a connectedness that I feel like we must fight for as a body that is not abusive and that is not in any way perverted or inappropriate. You know, and we right, must we must right. continue to strive for that connectedness so that it can create strike a striking contrast to those who would abuse and who would pervert what is good and right and holy. And that's my soapbox. Hmm. Uh, we are so broken. <laughs> we really are. We really are. Uh, which, which, honestly, even in saying that, I don't I, like. You know, I, I, I think it's funny when you were describing that personalized scenario there or, or, you know, those, the people in your orbit uh, that have that story, I understand the impulse to this, but, but, you know, whether it's on social media or you've heard historically when, you know, someone referencing a story like that or, or someone who has been sort of caught in an abusive situation as the abuser and, and this sort of, I hate even saying it out loud, but I think you'll understand where I'm going with this, that sort of, judgmental well there's a special place in hell for these kinds of people right. like i've heard that many times like like i i don't want to believe this but i will say it and sort of hope for it the opposite but like that's such an unchrist-like response oh i i wholeheartedly <laughs> you, agree you yeah. know you know like like that, that doesn't mean we don't grieve deeply the 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 sort of way the the, the sort of deep the deep the deep sadness that we get a glimpse into of the world in those scenarios. Um, we, we do grieve that very deeply and very powerfully. And, 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 you know, we, we have to sort of wrestle through that, but you know, yes. Uh, when, whenever, whenever we begin assigning people to, to uh, an ultimate destiny based on them, them at their worst, um, yes. we are in, 
a really precarious place there. Because let me tell you this, uh, many soapbox, nobody in scripture talked about hell more than Jesus did, but that was because he was at war with it, not because he relished those who were going to suffer it. And and I I could not agree more that this idea of just resigning somebody like, oh man, hell is going to be hot for them and like taking some sort of sadistic glee in that. I do not understand right, that. Right, as a, as a right. follower of Jesus Christ, I do not understand that. That is what I believe he emptied himself to rescue them from. <laughs> like, I believe sure, that is what sure. he, he bled out to ensure that no one would have to experience. Not, not right. because it's, I don't believe it's a reality. I do believe it's a reality, but because he was at war against it and against everything of it. And that's why it's unchristlike in my view to just dance on the graves of the damned. I, 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 I would oppose that. Well, and, well, and even, even, even almost more than that, it's like, you know, it is his will that none should perish. And, and, and when we have a mindset that sets a person against restitution and restoration, we are the problem then. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like yes. we, we are now the stumbling block towards their reconciliation. Yes. Um, when we, anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. When we don't, it have comes a, at night. <laughs> it comes at night. Uh, yeah. Seriously. When we don't have a heart for the lost, it means that we, we're, we're even more one of them. Um, so I think after all of that heavy conversation, uh, we could use an, an antidote. Uh, David <laughs> you want to tell them what that's all about? No, um, but I will. Uh, yeah, we we grade every more or less movie. Um, every movie that we uh, discuss, we grade on a metric scale of David S. Pumpkins under the categories of. Read one of the categories again. Their style, scares, and substance. Under a category, under the categories of style, scares, and substance, we love our alliteration here at the Fear of God. Um, so, read. It comes at night from 2017. This is our other than our um, uh, hashtag Alfred Letters entries. Uh, this is this is our 2017 horror movie retrospective month. Uh, <laughs> it comes at night in terms of style. What would you? How how do you feel about the style of It Comes at Night? I'm going to give it a 4.5. I was tempted to give it a 5, but because uh, I think the filmmaking is really strong. And obviously, 4.5 probably barely needs a qualifier. But it dings down a half a point for me just in how ambiguous it is. Maybe I would like a maybe I'd like a bone here or there, but uh, I mean the filmmaking is so strong, so 4.5. This is tough. It's hard, I know. Because hmm, so style, like the reason I'm hesitating right now, like this is why this metric can be challenging sometimes. Like I'm I'm going to be real honest right now, my impulse is fives down the line. Which implies implies like a top ten movies of all time kind of thing. I don't mean that necessarily, but I think it is incredibly well made. And so, in terms of style, I would be tempted towards a five because I think, like you just said, from a pure craft standpoint, it is fantastic. Yeah, um, I, agree. I, I agree. I agree with you. the The ambiguity is a little. I mean, off putting is a strong word, but having. Like, if you had watched this a second time, and I would almost say, hey, give that a try in the coming months, um, I wonder if that 4.5 might be a 5. 
So all that to say, I, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to give it a five in style. All right. All right. Well, what would you uh, say for it in terms of scares? Uh, it's five. It's dreadful. Five. It is It is terrifying. Yeah. Um, and almost, and I joked about it at this point, feels like an hour ago, but like, I'm okay with ambiguity. And yet still I'm unresolved in, in like, what? No, really? What was it? What was it? What is it? Yes. Is it a monster? Is it a behemoth? Is it a yeti? (laughs) Is it, is it a little, is a little penguin in the woods? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, the, um, uh, for me, uh, almost the same exact thing I would have said for style. It's a 4.5 for me. Almost tempted to give it a five, but there's just a, there's just a little sort of, uh, ding down on some of its, uh, some of its mystique. I don't know. Maybe, you know, touch base that, with that, me. See, that, one, that one, that one surprises me. I, I'm, I'm oh, surprised yeah. you aren't fully on to the, not that I think you should do a five. I just mean like if it, w- being at a 4.5 for this movie. Like it, it feels like just push that boulder over the hill there, buddy. I see. I see. I see how you're going to be, but you know what? It's my rating. It's not yours. It so. is. It is. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm just responding to the rating. I'm not like I'm saying teasing. you're an idiot. That's not what I'm saying. No, I'm teasing. So, uh, and then, uh, for substance, man, substance is tough for me. Cause I think, I think there's a lot there, but I also think we bring a lot to it. I'm going to go to four. You're hedging in ways that must be how you feel hearing me sometimes. Um, not, Doesn't feel great, I, I, does it? No, I'm just kidding. Well, again, it's not even because I'm like, that's ridiculous. Just it surprises me to hear you hedge. Um, yeah. Uh, substance. My ratings are very instinctive. Yeah, mine are too. I, I'm going to give it a five. I just think right. there is a lot that if, if I were to reconsider any of my ratings, it it might be style for the ambiguity factor, but I think substance, this movie is all about how and if we connect and what happens when we don't like, and I think that's really ripe for a substantive and in a way that we, we sometimes do bring half of the substance conversation to the table. But I I think, dude, we just went all over the place in terms of conversation and and none of it is too far afield from what the movie does itself. Anyway, so yeah, that is is a good point. That is a good point. Well, all of that, (laughs) uh, all of, all of that. And, uh, and, and clearly, you know, you feeling like I had, I had underplayed it, um, a little bit. We still land at a nine out of 10 David S pumpkins for old, uh, for old, it comes at night. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a powerful film. It's very affecting. Oh, I cannot believe we went this entire conversation, this lengthy conversation. I did not mention this. I stumbled across this in Trivial Bits. You know where the title comes from, right? It's not a it, like this. This has no. You've just. Bar- I feel like you've like totally just teased me right now. You're like no, you're no, talking no. about what the end of the movie is the whole time. You're no, like, oh, by the way, no, no, no. now that we're in our last thirty seconds. <laughs> no, no, no. But th- this is this is verified that the uh, that the title of the film is a reference to uh, I believe it's Second Thessalonians chapter five. Uh, either no, might be First Thessalonians, but it's the it's the popular verse where it says the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. And, and, and that is, that is actually like where the title came from. That tells you nothing about what the it of the, of the film is, but that is, that is well, where sure they got is. the title. It's, it's, I, I, I'm not I joking. You're like adding this right now. Like <laughs> we've just talked for an hour and a half hypothesizing things. And like, that's, that is a whole new, cause of course the thief. Yeah. Our security, our comfort, yeah. our. Abil- our, our ability to hold to each other that is is 
thieved from us. Yes. Thieves, precious. <laughs> I can't believe you're just now bringing that in this conversation. Well, you're welcome. You've, you know, I just it wanted ca- to it see. Ca- it came at night and took my good, <laughs> goodwill towards you. Uh, <laughs> but now look it up that's that's exactly where no i believe you i'm not i'm i'm yeah. saying i can't believe you're now making this a part of the conversation that's Just a whole waiting, other thread yeah, waiting this up well i want i didn't want to i didn't want to close the loop and and not bring it in you know you just um, opened it all the way back up well, listen, anyway, the fear I'm of God is the beginning just... of wisdom, but it's never the end of the conversation. I mean, like... No, it isn't. <laughs> Clearly, it's like the beginning now. <laughs> so, so, listeners, prepare for uh, you know another hour and a half, and uh, and here we go. I'm just kidding. Uh, in fact, uh, <laughs> in fact, we're both so tired, we're just going to let you listen to our social media cues the way we have been doing. I think, I think I'm just going to make that the thing now. 2018, like, just prepare for the social media stock outro. Um, but sincerely, um, if you have thoughts on this film, we would love to hear about them. Uh, Nathan, Thank you so Reed. much for uh, for having this conversation with me, man, and for pushing us to watch this film. This was uh, this was this was good. We hope that uh, listeners you you enjoy the rest of the films that uh, that we've got coming up because we decided to we decided to pick some rather controversial entries. So uh, <laughs> so stay tuned on uh, on uh, social media to see where we're headed next, and uh, and then yeah, we'll we'll see you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.